0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Graham, as always joined by George Belshaw and Calvin Beton. But first, we've had an email. Uh, You can all get in touch with us via email, lovetennispod at gmail.com. And you can send us almost anything, really. Um, I'm the only one who reads it. So if you do have abuse for George, please do personally message him. I'll send you his address or something. Um, But we've had a lovely email from Mary, uh, who says she's just finished listening to Pod and really enjoyed it, as always. Uh, She loves the honest way we discuss tennis, their coaches, the players, and all the issues. What has made me right is to say just how much the way how much the way you described and discussed the meteoric rise of Emma Raducanu resonated with me. Your discussion about how she's not really playing at number thirteen level in the world and how she will struggle going forward. I've thought this, but felt bad thinking it as everyone is so on the Emma Raducanu hype train. Don't get me wrong. I think she's great and will hopefully inspire loads of youngsters to take up the sport, but I found your discussion really refreshing and honest. Also as a massive Andy Murray fan, I enjoy your insight and discussions about him. So all in all great pods, you're all extremely knowledgeable, easy to listen to and informative. Thanks guys. Take care. Looking forward to many more. Well, thanks very much for getting in touch, Mary. Um, we're delighted to have such positive feedback the rest of the year in box has a similar number of exclamation marks but after different types of words so um and i I don't need those pills and i don't know who keeps sending me those emails but they're not required i assure you um anyway uh thanks very much for getting in touch and please do drop us an email as always if you want to give us feedback there are lots of ways of doing it Uh, you can leave ratings and reviews but really only good ones um if you've got bad ones then please do email us lovetennispod at gmail.com we really like hearing from people um i've had feedback recently about the theme tune. Uh, thank you to Danny uh, for that one. He thinks that we should change it. I didn't tell him when he said that to me that I wrote it and recorded it to myself uh, because I was just <laughs> my bruised ego was still being nursed at that point. But uh, maybe, maybe we will in, in this summer have a, a bit of a think about our theme tune. Do you like the theme tune? Let us know at Love Tennis Pod on Twitter or on email. Uh, George, I haven't introduced you for a good two and a half minutes. You must be hating it. How are you?
1: yeah well i'm first of all shocked that we have our own email address that's literally the first i've heard of that now there's a lot Just of things that happen it. in the background george that you don't know about <laughs> and also i've uh, i met my parents in birmingham for a couple of weeks before i move house in london and uh i've got my keyboard here so i could always write as a, a new that's
0: huge news same. this is huge <laughs> news. uh calvin i think you are the stone cold drummer
2: here aren't you uh no i'm a guitarist Oh God!
0: Well, I think I might yeah. be playing tambourine there. I might be Bez. Um, I've got my yeah, trombone as well. Vibes. <laughs> oh dear! This 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 theme tune. I mean, honestly, Danny, you thought it was bad before. It's only <laughs> gonna get worse. I can assure you. Right. With no further ado, uh, let's crack on with this evening's podcast. We're gonna. There's loads to talk about. Of course, uh, we'll chat about Taylor Fritz and his victory over Rafa Nadal. A bit about Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, of course, our favourite topic of conversation. Daniel Medvedev's lost his number one ranking once again. Is that the end of him? I mean, I'm joking, but also, is it? Uh, Igor Shontek picked up another title, and she goes to number two in the rankings for the first time in her career. Um, And, of course, Maria Sakari was on the other side of that final. We'll talk about Harriet Dart. We'll try and cover a bit of the Miami draw, although I haven't seen a huge amount of it, but I know George has been scrutinising it carefully since it came out a couple of hours ago. But there is only one place to start, and that is Indian Wells, where so very many things happened over a 10-day period. Of course, Naomi Osaka's quite troubling exit from the tournament was something that we covered last week. We got to the business end over the weekend, Uh, the men's and women's final in the same session in Indian Wells, which I liked Uh, no women's final on the Saturday, no sort of lesser billing both on the Sunday in the hot sun in California. Taylor Fritz was the surprise winner. We had Cam Norrie last time around and this time we had Taylor Fritz. George, I feel like it's about 2017. I feel like we talked about Taylor Fritz a lot back then um, as someone who sort of might have made something. And this is quite a big moment for him, isn't
1: it? It's a very big moment. Um, I remember distinctly in 2017, I think it must have been sitting with some ATP media bosses uh, in a stuffy room in the the back of the O2 discussing the future talents of the game. And at that stage, Taylor Fritz was one they were highlighting as, oh, he's a he's a great American talent and he's really good looking. Let's hope he's good <laughs> at tennis as well. Um, no, they didn't actually say that, but it, it did kind of feel like the, the two had come before that without necessarily... The quality is development was perhaps a bit slower than was kind of tipped back then, uh, when there was this whole kind of sale of a next gen. Um, But I, you know, I think Fritz has genuinely improved quite a lot. He's become a very solid. I mean, the rankings have been a bit messed up today, but I believe he's up to world number fifteen now. No, I do. He was was for about six hours up to world number eight
0: (laughs) because the ATP computer went a bit nuts on Monday morning. And yeah, Roger Federer was like up to
1: twenty-five in the world again, and all sorts of strange things were happening. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think he is kind of around that. I would describe him as around that twenty mark at the minute for me. I think he's someone you don't really want to face without necessarily thinking he's right now the quality needed to be a top-five, top-ten player. Um, but as we say quite often on this pod, you know, every player is kind of on their own journey. And while I've never really had Fritz down as a slam winner, this is the sort of win that can propel confidence. And, you know, comparing him to Cam Norrie last year, you know, Norrie, I think we all think he's probably hissing around his ceiling. I'd really be surprised if he went on to kind of crack the top five given his lack of weapons. Fritz does have bigger weapons than Norrie, which could potentially if he can hit his peak regularly, see him go further. But yeah, I'm I'm still not convinced it will get much better than this, to be perfectly honest.
0: Calvin, I, I imagine he's someone who didn't play in the college. He didn't play college tennis, which is quite unusual for an American player coming through. He kind of went the junior route. Um, I imagine he's never less someone you heard a bit about, or, or I don't know how much hype was there about him coming through.
2: Um, as a junior, he was decent, but I think the reason he didn't go to college, he, he had a kid and got married when he was 19, I think. Mm. 18 or 19 so um i knew one of my friends he he didn't represent him but he was at the company that represented taylor Fritz. so he did some work for him and i think at the time uh yeah i mean i think we always thought he was going to be a top 20 player um top 25 top 20 top 20 player i'd say um but it was definitely a you know for a tennis player it was a strange sort of start to his career that he did. He didn't have a. I think he got married first. It wasn't a case of, I don't want to put that in the wrong way. It wasn't a case of he got somebody pregnant and then had to get married. He, he, he married somebody who he sort of childhood sweetheart, I think, and they had a child quite young. So I don't think he's with her now. I think they've split up.
1: Do you want to do my uh, weekly trivia? Of of course, and I'm.
0: I, I hope I haven't just looked it up, but yeah, I'm fascinated to know what I wasn't it
2: aware it was weekly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of inadvertently weekly. I do right. normally. See something I'm like, oh, that's quite interesting. I, I'm a bit worried James will have looked it up because I actually did sort of hint at this in the notes earlier. But in the men's side, since 2001, up to when Norrie won his Indian Wells last year, there was only one non Grand Slam winner. Who's won Indian Wells? Who was it? Is this in the men's tournament? In the men's tournament. So, from I think it was from 2001 up to Cam Norrie's win last year, been one player who hasn't won a slam. That's so, obviously, you've got like the big four Murray. I think the, 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 pop the problem is it. that you, now that you've said that,
0: all I can think of is players who've won slams. Like it yeah. is virtually impossible to think of anyone else. Um, I don't know, John Isner?
1: Not John Isner. I think he won. No. Did he win Miami? Yeah, quite possibly. I'm
2: going. I don't know. Who it is. I saw the last. I saw that the last five winners of Indian Wells were all first-time Master Series winners, mm. which is interesting.
0: Come on then, George. Who is it?
1: It is Ivan Lubacic. Oh
2: crikey!
0: I think I think we could have been here for a while if you we were going to wait. <laughs> I was to going that. to give
1: you a few more clues. And no, say I, they I, are linked to a grand, a multiple Grand Slam champion. They nah, reach world nah, number nah, three. would. I mean.
0: Congratulations if you got that at home. Do let us know, at Love Tennis Pod on Twitter. But that I, I was never, never getting that. I mean, that's quite interesting, really. Um, I mean, Indian Wells seems to me uh, to be a, a slow, hard-court tournament, like compared to, if you think about the last, I know court speed klaxon sounded, but if you think about kind of the Australian Open recently, the US Open recently, what we know about Cincinnati and, and places like that, it does seem to me that Indian Wells is a slower surface. I mean, would that explain Calvin? That sort of, you know, it, it kind of means that you you the top players come out on top more often.
2: Um, not necessarily, I wouldn't think. Um... I think it I don't even know if it's slow I think it's that it can be so many different things because it's so windy there. Yeah. So generally when it's windy it tends to make the conditions feel slower because it's hard to hit through the ball as much, hard to get a clean strike on the ball. You have to get you can't go as near the line so you're going to get less clean winners on that basis. Um and also because of where it is and it's always windy there tends to be a lot of sand on the court. Mm. um mid match which again would slow things down a bit so it's just a strange place i think isn't it, it, it there's nowhere else on the tour that would be like that well there's no, I'm not aware that there's any other tournaments that are in the middle of a desert
0: well starting. i think that's a good point as well and and the crowds don't seem to be great i mean we know the history with serena and venus and when i say great i mean they both don't seem to be great in number or great in attitude to tennis players. And we've seen a bit of that um, in this tournament as well with Naomi Osaka, and she was not the only one in, as it happens. I mean, we we talk about Indian Wells as, you know, the fifth slam. Is, is it still that got that status, George? People don't seem that keen to play it. No
1: one turns up to watch it, and we always get odd winners. I mean, I've personally never been a massive advocate of the, the fifth slam, chat. If there's going to be a fifth slam for me, it's going to be the one that offers the most points. So on that basis, it's the ATP finals <laughs> rather than Indian Wells. Yeah. But I mean, they try, they try and have like a as close to two week tournament, don't they? And they've got 128 draws. So I think from that perspective, it's probably the closest thing you can get to a slam. Um And you know, looking back on that list of players as I was doing earlier, does have a great amount of prestige. I, I suppose we're just more in a bit of a transition state of the tour where we are going to get a few more random winners Um, and you know Fritz, I I don't want to take anything away from Fritz because you know he he battled really hard, I I actually didn't think he was going to play the match full stop having seen A, his kind of issues with the ankle in the semi-finals and B reading about him cutting practice short on the morning Um, so it kind of felt like Nadal was just going to steamroll through him of course he had his own issues but you know, a few things went in Fritz's uh, favor, shall we say. You know, Nadal perhaps finally kissing that the wall after an amazing start to the year. Even stuff like Djokovic just being a, a pillar and leaving his name in the tournament. You know, that massively worked in Fritz's favor because it heavily loaded the top half of the draw, and left him with you know, Rublev was the biggest obstacle for him. So, yeah, I mean, it went in his favor, but he he, he still did fantastically well. And yeah, Indian Wells
2: still a good tournament, even if I. I'm being a bit down on it. I wouldn't have it above... I wouldn't even have it above Miami. I always think Miami was the bigger tournament when it used mm. to be the, the Sony Ericsson one. It's, it's kind of lost a bit of prestige recently because of players pulling out all the time, which didn't always happen. Um, but... But Miami, or or Key Biscayne, as it used to be called, definitely used to be the bigger of the two tournaments. Um, Going on to the match last night, something I thought was interesting, just in my own mind, when I was watching it was, and I think this says a lot more about Nadal, way more about Nadal and how brilliant he is in those circumstances than it does about Taylor Fritz. But when it was was a set to Fritz and 3-2 to Fritz, I I think it was a set and 3-2 to Fritz, maybe. I don't know who was serving second set, or maybe 3-all. Uh, at that stage, I, I remember thinking to myself, how much, ch- what chance do I give Fritz of winning this match now? And I figured I'd give him 15% chance. <laughs> and, that, and, and that's it. And I think it was a set and three, two, and juice. Yeah. And, and I thought at the time, yeah, 15% chance for me. Cause I've, you've just seen Nadal in those situations so often. <clears throat> um And he just wins them so often. He probably does win he probably does win 85 out of a hundred of those type of match in that type of situation. Um, and then they got and as it got, I'd say even as it got closer towards the, the end of that set, I'd probably have given Nadal more chance every time and when it should really be the other way you'd give Fritz a bit more chance. But, um, but again, something else that, that, that i sort of thought was interesting again, was just watching it was, and I've said this before and I'm not sort of trying to beat my own drum about it, but Nadal, relatively and I'll stress relatively he struggles against tall guys with decent backhands and Fritz is one of those and you'd notice towards the end of the match he was going to that backhand nowhere near as often as he generally does uh, um, and, is the,
0: and is that just to kind of break that down is that quite simply because they can get on top of that kind of rasping Rafa forehand
2: yeah it, it's normally a shot that he, he can whip his forehand up to their backhand and the, the absolute worst he's going to have the next shot is neutral because he can get it so high, they're hitting it. The, the smaller guys, and I say smaller, when I say that, I mean anything from kind of six foot one and below, which still is pretty tall. Um, they, they're hitting the ball from above shoulder height because of the the torque that he generates on the ball. Um, and so they're not going to be able to, to, to damage him with it. So he's always got neutral. But the taller guys who he plays and Federer, um, they can they can damage him there. So he tends to not go to the backhand as much. And, and I think that was... That says a lot about Fritz, really, I think, that Nadal didn't, he had to change his usual tactic against right-handers, which he plays 90% of the time.
0: Mm. It's an interesting, I mean, you'd mentioned the wind earlier there, Calvin, and I don't think the final was as windy as it had been earlier in the week, but there was still plenty of wind kicking around. I mean, is Nadal specifically one of the best wind players around, or, or as you mentioned earlier, is it just that the better players play better in the wind because they're more
2: challenged? Yeah, look. The wind. It, it's there's two ways of looking at it, both that are true. Generally, the more windy it gets, it's going to be a leveler, so it favors the underdog all the time because the best player, the best players tend to like. If, if I played Roger Federer in clean conditions, he he I'd probably get about four points in an hour. <laughs> if I played him in windy conditions, because of that, I might get six. um on on that basis but um but then at the same time the flip side of that is that the players who play well in wind are the more skillful players the players with better hands the players who can adjust better so it's more just that it will infuriate them but it wasn't as windy but then I mean one thing you can say is that in that tie break in the second set Nadal had a mini break I think it was 5-4 and he had a put away drive volley with Fritz completely out of the court. So he had a full court to hit at, and he missed it by a tram line width. So mm. he missed it by a fair bit. And I think that must be down to the wind. So, yeah. um, and that's what matches can turn on. If he puts that drive volley away, which I think he puts away 98 times out of 100, he's six-four-two two set points up.
0: George, how much um, do you kind of put this victory or defeat, if you like, on what Rafa Nadal was talking about With his chest. I mean, just for people who don't know, he was talking about this chest problem. Uh, He was asked in press offers. do you know what it is? Is it something new? He said it happened yesterday night, just at the end of the match last night. So that was obviously the semi-final. Uh, So finishing that late yesterday and playing here today in the morning, as you can imagine, I didn't have any chance to do any things or even check what was going on. All I can say is it's tough for me to breathe. I feel very, very, and then he sort of, you know, makes a breathing (laughs) gesture when I try to breathe. Uh, It's painful and it's very uncomfortable. Uh, it's not the day to talk about what's going on with me. It's his day. We don't need to hide that in my comments, which I thought was quite a nice way of putting it. Um, George, do you, do you think there is an issue going on here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's more than one issue, to be honest. You know, he'd already kind of pulled out in Miami. I think for, despite how well he's been playing, I still don't think he's actually like physically 100% at the minute, um, which, you know, tennis players will tell you, they're never physically 100%, and that's probably a pipe dream, but... Nadal, still, for me, there are a few niggling concerns and he speaks a lot about the kind of pain pain he's in quite regularly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it definitely would have played a part. Look, I, I think Fritz played really well. Um, I don't want to take anything away from him, particularly as I'm you know, talking about. He was not 100% either. So, you know, if anything, it was kind of a leveler on that front. But I think, you know, you have, you have to think... Nadal, the way he's been playing, the way he's been coming through really tough matches in this tournament and just through the year generally, probably has just taken his, his toll on him, to be honest.
0: Mm. Um, it has done his world ranking a good amount of uh, interest, if you like. He's up to back up to world number three, which I suppose doesn't make a huge difference to him because four and three are much the same. But thinking about the French Open draw, I mean, Zverev is now in fourth and he... Is in danger of being caught by Tsitsipas. I know Tsitsipas has got a lot of points to defend in the Clay Court season, but so is Zverev, and he's not playing particularly well. His head's not in a very good place at all. I mean, it would be quite significant, I think, if, if Zverev became a number five seed and all of a sudden goes from being like a semi final opponent for these guys to a potential quarterfinal opponent. So just something to keep an eye on in the rankings there. Um, an American winner in Indian Wells, the first one since 2001 when they both the men's and women's tournament were won by uh serena williams and andre agassi which uh, just telling you how long serena williams has been around how important is it calvin do you think for there to be good americans in the game if that makes any sense you know does the game benefit more from having americans in the top 20 than say other nations
2: yeah absolutely um because it it generates more interest in america which is a huge market and it would then therefore generate more interest as a whole more sponsorship money more marketing that kind of thing if they're if they're on telly more often um and tennis isn't always on telly a great deal in america despite them having millions of sports channels um (laughs) because they've always got nba or nfl on um there's there's generally I'm pretty sure there's an there's an NBA match going on at any single one time um in America and they've generally got it on. Um but so yeah it, it definitely is. But it seems so it's weird. I'm just thinking about it there. It seems so long ago since they've actually had one who would draw viewers in that mm. I can't really remember what it was like. Um certainly not not in the last ten years. And I'm to be honest, I'm not sure Fritz is gonna be that either. No, me neither. I, I'm...
1: I mean, we've really entered a new age since there's been a kind of American male star, obviously, you know, Serena Venus and massive, massive superstars and draw massive crowds, um, both in terms of TV ratings and physically in America. But, you know, we've not really had a a social media American star. I mean, for what it's worth, I'm not sure that this will propel him to stardom. But apparently uh, this whole Fritz injury before this Nadal match was captured by this Netflix documentary crew so if that by some miracle is a hit Fritz may inadvertently start start his path to some sort of social media stardom um but yeah I mean it's quite hard to say from here how much this winner's resonated in America but I guess he's a he's a Californian isn't he Fritz so yeah winning in kind of home state as well as home soils uh Pretty nice uh, and,
0: of him. and in fairness, there there are players. You know, Jensen Brooksby is another, and I know Rafa was very complimentary about him um, in his post match. So, so there is some. You know, there are players coming through who aren't, frankly, just John Isner and Riley Apelka.
2: The problem I think is in America as well, though, because of the nature of where they are and they love calling themselves world champions at sports that they only they play. Um, that the, and again, this is to their credit as well. To be fair, I'm not sure they're really that much interested in somebody who's ranked six in the world, even. I think yeah. it has to be world number one yeah. or they're just not one or maybe two and competing for finals of slams. They're not like if, if Britain had somebody at, look, if Cam Norrie gets into number eight or something, be, you know, he'll be going on chat shows and that kind of thing. Yeah. Look look at Emma Raducanu. She's ranked 13. Yeah. Um, I, I
0: do I do wonder as well whether, and you, you guys may be able to speak to this better than I can, but I do wonder whether tennis in America, despite, frankly, Serena's and, uh, Serena's, Serena and Venus, tennis still has this like stuffy country club image. I, I I think that's the impression I get from the outside. When you look at where tournaments are held, what type of place they're held at and what crowds are like, I feel like it still has a very specific image.
2: That yeah, has, kind of has... leads... on, sorry, George. I was going to say that,
1: that kind of leads into what I was going to say back to Calvin there, actually. I think the only other way they could hit superstardom is if you had like an American equivalent of Kyrios, someone who hits a different audience, someone who kind of reshapes, you know, you know, Kyrgios kind of has that more kind of basketball swagger, I suppose, in terms of attitude compared to that kind of challenging those like stuffy traditionalist views in America. I think that's another sort of guy who, if there was an American equivalent, an outspoken, you know, interesting, different style, unique player, that, that is another way of kind of cutting through that market. But, Realistically, that as much as I like people like T.F.O., I think T.F.O. is a really interesting character.
0: Great talker it's as well.
1: A very good talker as well. He's not even had perhaps the flash in the pan that maybe Curiosity did as like a teenager. But yeah, I mean, it's it is a difficult market to crack for tennis.
2: Yeah, um, I, th- I think yeah, you're kind of right as well there, James. Where you look at where the tournaments are, although New York Flushing Meadows in Queens yeah Um, but But um, look at the people who
0: go to Flushing Meadows
2: yeah yeah given and look most of the tennis in America is played at country clubs and you have to be very very wealthy to get in there I mean college tennis is quite big in America but again it's quite as we discussed on the pod a few weeks ago it can be a bit obnoxious as well (laughs) um college tennis and yeah that I mean, like we said, TFO is the one. If TFO, if TFO was just a bit better, or that's probably been a bit harsh, if he could turn his quality into results more, there's a star there. I yeah. think if TFO was top five in the world, then I think that would pull in a lot, a big audience. I mean, Goff's going to come, um, I think. but yeah. And I think she will be a star. Yeah, but um, sure. the men's, I'm not too sure who it is really. Hmm.
0: I mean, I think, I think Brooksby has something about him. I mean, I, I don't know him as a person very well, but he, he's a, an interesting player. And all the other players talk about him. Uh, Corder maybe is the one, you know, because he's got that great sporting family. He's obviously, frankly, and I don't like saying it, but, you know, he's a good-looking white lad. And, you know, most of America is going to find him more palatable than Francis Tierfo, frankly.
2: I, th- I think that's a decent point, actually, James, because in America that... I've- they, they sort of talk about demographics, who watches tennis, that kind of thing. And th- there was a study recently that said the people who watch, people who watch golf also tend to watch tennis. So mm-hmm. they will equate his sisters with him. Yeah. And that, that there is potentially a story there. Like you say, Brooksby, I think is a great player to watch. Um, there's not many players to watch more, but he simply doesn't have a good enough serve to be a superstar. Like, like you would need.
0: Yeah. Um, for people who don't know, Sebastian Corder's uh, sister, Nelly Corder, I think I'm right in saying, uh, certainly was the world number one women's golfer for a while. And she is very good. And of course, his father uh, won the French Open. So there's no no shortage of sporting talent in the, uh, in the Corder family. So, yeah, we'll see. And I also just want to kind of follow up on what I was saying. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that I think people should be more interested in Sebastian Corder because he's white, but there is a reality that we kind of have to face up to there. And yeah, you know, I've been a massive supporter of Francis TFO. I, I'm quite a big Francis TFO fanboy. I am in a disproportionate number of his press conferences. Um, and yeah, as you say, I think George, you mentioned it. I think he's someone who, if he got a run, you know, I mean, I don't, has he, he's been to a Grand Slam quarterfinal. I don't think he's been to a Grand Slam semifinal. But you feel like if he got a run and a few people outside of tennis started to see him, you know, play and talk, you know, he's a really cool guy and he's a great talker. And, you know, he's he, I think he's just someone who has a lot. And He's only 24. There's a, there's a lot more to come from him. Um, who else can we talk about in Indian Wells this week? Nick Kyrgios. It's amazing that we've got this far and not talked about him in depth, although his name has come up once or twice. Uh, a massive jump up the rankings because he's actually bothered to play some tennis. Uh, he beat, on his way to the quarterfinals, he beat um, Sebastian Baez, uh, Federico Delbonis, Casper Rude in a real grudge match. Uh, unfortunately, we were denied uh, his match against Yannick Sinner, uh, who pulled out through, I think, in I want to say illness, I can't remember now. Um, and then, of course, he had that match against Rafael Nadal, uh, where he went a set down, tanked his way through a tiebreak, uh, pulled the second set back, and then was beaten six four in the third. George, a glimpse into what we could have won, as usual with Nick.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was another another good week. I think Nick's been playing really good tennis for the last like twelve months, to be honest. Like he's when he's played when he's turned up. I mean, I think he is. Genuinely playing some pretty good. I mean, he's always played good stuff, but there seems a little bit more concentration to a degree. I think he's he's not losing as many really bad matches um, through kind of complete head losses. Um, I guess that may be one benefit of not just being on the tour all year long, that he's actually not feeling burnt out and kind of lashing out or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, look, every. We say this all the time, tennis is a better place when he's there because he's different, he's interesting, and he makes big matches really, really watchable. Again, meeting with Nadal was brilliant. Um you know, it was a shame we didn't get the cinema match. That would have been another interesting occasion. Um, but yeah, no, I long may it continue. We've got him in Miami. This week, he'll probably have a massive explosion this week. now I've just said he's been really well behaved.
0: Well, then, and then he's got to play tennis as well. Um, (laughs) Miami is the ultimate Kyrgios tournament, isn't it? Uh, Kyrgios and Benoit pair, just like competitive private tables. Um, I'm going to read a quote. The misconception about Kyrgios is that he doesn't care. It's not that. You can tell he'd love to win more tennis matches and compete more. His problem is that he can't cope with not winning not getting his own way. He can't compete with disappointment. That's why he doesn't play. Is that Wayne Gretzky? Is that Bill Belichick? Is it Sir Alex Ferguson? No, it's Calvin Betton. Such wise (laughs) words, Calvin. Um, Quite remarkable that among all the tweets that you put out, that one really cut through. I mean, just to to expand on that, um, and I'm obviously joking uh, because Calvin has lots of wisdom and that's why you're all listening to the podcast, let's face it. it. It's an interesting point and i think it's one that not not really been made before um because do you think nick people don't think about nick in such a a deep way because they just see a spoiled child and they just move on
2: yeah i think it's it's shades of gray again isn't it i think people think that if if you tank it's because you just hate tennis you don't like it and and it's also like let's not forget as well it's something that nick says himself a lot he loves to say that he doesn't care mm. either directly or indirectly but i think when you watch him and, and i've <sighs> I've been around a lot of players who without trying to sound too deep, you can see it in their eyes that they really don't care that they're really not that bothered if they win or lose matches. And I've had players who I coach who are like that. Um, And I've seen players play against players who I coach who are like that. But when you watch Kyrgios, especially when I watched him the other night and I've thought this before, you don't get as angry and as worked up when you're not winning as he does. If you don't care about winning, that that's impossible, and it's not an act. You can see he gets really genuinely frustrated if things aren't going his own way. And I wanted to say I didn't say in my tweet that it's not a strength or a weakness that some people are just like that. But and then it ties into other things. Somebody said that it's not that; it's just that he doesn't want to work hard. And it's it's that's neither agreeing or disagreeing with it because he may be, he, he, because he can't cope with the disappointment so much he doesn't have the drive to make him want to work as much as that because he knows that he can't cope with the disappointment. And I think he knows that. I think it it torments him that he doesn't get his own way all the time. And you've got to remember as well, and he's because of the success he's had, and he has had quite a bit of success and he's quite a wealthy young, he's, he's a quite a good looking, wealthy young lad who people tend to like, because he's a good guy. I doubt he gets much disappointment outside of the tennis court. Mm. And so I think that's unlikely to change for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's where it's the one place you can't really control things. Um, He was quite interesting. In, I mean, he's always interesting in press. Um, I think we all know that by now. Uh, and certainly in Australia, he's, he's always someone worth listening to. I think there's a really good point that kind of plays into what you're saying, Calvin. It's the first question, not, it's not even a question the first one, it's just the moderator saying, tell us how you felt about that match. And he, he said, I sat down with my coach myself and I had a game plan, and everything was working. Two points away from the first set. I don't know how Rafa got out of that game. 5-4, 30-15. I just kept replaying that point over and 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 over over again. That's a direct quote. Somehow snagged the second, a couple of points in the third. That's just that, a couple of break points. And I think partly it's a point as to how close tennis matches are. I think um, Nick won 103 points in that match, and Rafa won 106. You know, it's just about, but it also kind of speaks to playing Rafa, George, the big points. It's just where he seems to step up every single
1: time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Rafa's a phenomenal competitor. And, you know, we're talking about Nick not wanting to lose. If there's anyone Rafa doesn't want to lose to, it is Nick. You know, that he really wants to win that match. You can tell these hypes. And it's a tough match for Nadal because Kyrgios can keep him on the back foot. He's got a massive serve. He's also not afraid to use a a few tricks which work pretty well against Nadal, given how far he stands back. And it's just hard to get a rhythm against Kyrgios. And Nadal's very much a kind of a rhythm guy. He wants to hit through people. He wants to kind of, you know, have this slog, have this battle. And Kyrgios kind of can just completely disrupt his rhythm. Um, And it's just a a tough guy to keep your focus against, which, you know, Nadal's ludicrously focused normally, but even he has been kind of perturbed by Kyrgios in the past and his antics. So, Yeah, it's always a great matchup and it's probably been one of the best matches on the tour, really. I mean, I don't know if you can class it as a great rivalry, given there's not been many slam matches, but it's probably been a match I look forward to most when it's happened on the tour the last few years because it's a great clash of styles. There's been a bit of bite in there before and they both really, really want it. And Nadal's getting the better of that battle now, but there's just, you know, you see a lot of
2: history and it's it's always pretty much really, really close between them. I, just on that quote, James, what you said there, the uh, over and over and over and over, him, him playing it over and over and over again, i read a quote that I saw today from Rafa Nadal in an um, academic paper that I read. Uh, I tweeted it on Twitter earlier, if anyone wants to read the full quote. And he said, during a match, you're in a permanent battle to fight your own everyday vulnerabilities to bottle up your human feelings. If I make a mistake on the prior point, I let it go. And that's just the opposite of what Kyrios is saying. Yeah. it's like the entire opposite of, of mindset of how two players think mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people I, I had a lot of people reply to me saying oh he just needs to get a coach and a mental coach and it, and, and that'll sort it out it, it won't I guarantee you that like it, it just that's not going to happen the only hope he has I think of it happening is, is nothing to do with a mental coach or a sports psychologist or anything it's getting somebody who he gets along with and he trusts who also knows tennis and can help him. And I don't know why he doesn't, he really doesn't want to get a tennis coach. I think it's because he might be, a, he might be asked to answer these sorts of questions. Um, but yeah, and I, the other thing I'll say as well, and I've come back to this before, is that when I say he struggles to, get, to cope with disappointment, and I, I I tweeted that after he lost the first set. And I thought, as it went on, I thought he might end up winning this, you know. Then does that make me look like a div then for tweeting it? And, it? and it's not because the one thing he has from tennis that gets him out of that is the serve. Because with his serve, you can be in a complete state of absolute turmoil and you can still get through service games. He'll still serve aces. So he still gets to the second set tiebreak in that situation. Whereas if he didn't have that serve, he'd be in all sorts of trouble. Now, one man who probably
0: didn't get as much attention in Indian Wells as Nick Kyrgios uh, was our very own Liam Brody, uh, who all credit to him, he qualified for Indian Wells Masters in some style as well. Actually, um, he beat Christian O'Connell in the second round of qualifiers, seven six six love, to get into the first round of Indian Wells. Which, for a guy you know just outside the top hundred in the world, is a pretty significant achievement. And um, he played well as well. He took a set off. Mayimir Kesmanovic, who um, in fairness, I think, went as far as the quarterfinals, uh, if not even further. Yeah, quarterfinals, he lost to Taylor Fritz. So, um, and went on to beat Chilich and Matteo Berrettini. So, a decent performance from from Liam there. Calvin, I know you know him well, and um, you, I think you watched her at least one set of his match against Kesmanovic. It's a decent achievement for him getting to that stage, isn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I watched all the match, actually. Um, and he was close to beating him as well. Uh, the game when he got broke, I think he lost, was it 6-4 in the 3rd Mm-hmm. In the third, yeah. And I think the game where he got broke, he was 40-15 up. Yeah. Um, and he had a couple more break points. It was a really long game. I think he lost his, his serve at 4-all, f- and it was. A, I think it was like a 20-minute game, and he ended up losing it. And then y- you can see the quality. So Broad's just playing really well, and he's just, he's just a warrior. He's, he's gonna, if you're going to play Liam Brody, you're going to have to beat him. He's not going to beat himself. Um, yeah.
0: He uh, he's in Miami now. He uh, <laughs> I saw Dave samuel his coach, tweeting that they're basically they were in Phoenix playing a challenger and then had to get flights to Miami and had to just run to the airport to try and make qualifying and like sign up. On uh... Dave was on a different flight from Liam, I think, because he couldn't get on the same one. So sounds like a pretty mad dash.
2: Yeah, Dave's um... we have a little bit of an in joke about it. Dave's Dave's Twitter is sometimes not as um... I don't know the word. He's not quite as good as it, as he is at tennis coaching and uh, mental <laughs> coach. So he actually put on it, he put something like a uh, good week here in Indian Wells off to Vegas now. And that was it. And then everyone was thinking, what are they going to Vegas for? <laughs> and it was actually because the only, the only way they could get the, the early flight they could get was from Vegas. Right. But the, the way that he tweeted made out <laughs> they were going for a couple, couple of days in the sands, <laughs> yeah, like in the Mirage, maybe. But, well, um
0: <laughs> yeah, that that was right. He, he, you're absolutely right, Calvin. To to quote his tweet, he says, "Just to clarify, we drove four and a half hours from Phoenix to Vegas last night to get a flight to Miami. So tough to find a way there. <laughs> Liam got the last seat on the twelve twenty eight. I didn't get on on standby, but now on the plane after, so the gamble paid off. Um, yeah, best of luck to him in Miami. Uh, Liam has drawn. Uh, oh yeah, Christopher Eubanks in qualifying, which is not." An easy draw um, on home soul for Evang, but we'll see how he goes. I mean, that match will already be over um, by the time you hear this, because I think they're playing in the next couple of minutes. Now, let's talk about the uh, women's tournament out in Indian Wells, where, for once, you could argue, we got two of the best players in the world in the final up against each other. So um, I suppose we can't complain about that, especially when Taylor Fritz won the men's tournament. Uh, Iga Shrontek lifted the trophy. Well, I say lifted the trophy. She really struggled to. (laughs) It's a weird sort of glass broad trophy it's got quite a lot of girth if you excuse the expression and it was she really didn't could barely get it off the stand um, but she did earn the right to uh, lift it because uh, she beat Maria Sachery in the final she's now up to world number two George um, Maria Sachery up to world number three and it's nice I think I don't know what you feel to have well certainly one if not two of the four women in, in, women in women's tennis actually moving up the rankings
1: yeah, I mean, for the first time since Osaka's dropped down the rankings, as far as I'm concerned, we've got the best two players in women's tennis as world number one and two. Yeah. So, you know, that's what we want. The The only criticism I have of Sfiontek this season um, is her losing to Danielle Collins in the semifinals, because then we <laughs> would have had a Barty Sfiontek final, which is what I want at Slams. Because, in Australia. Yeah. In Australia, yeah. Um, but, you know... <sighs> I, I've done my usual round of Polish media this week where di- I swear like a different Polish journalist comes and re- I wonder if they're all just like on rotation, like, oh, I'll go and get him this time. <laughs> just coming out, like, slide into my DMs. Like, can you say something about Sfiance? I swear I just repeat the same thing every time. Just like, I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think she. <laughs> there's no limits to what she can do. She should be winning this tournament all the time. I, I think we did the interview before Um, She faced Halep and it's like, well, you know, Halep's a good player, but Halep's a past her best. And Sviontek has everything in her armory to beat players like that. She should be dominating. And, and to be fair, she is, you know, and I think the the interesting thing really, and, and arguably it makes the semi-final defeat to Collins all the more surprising is that generally in the biggest moments in the biggest tournaments, she is, shit hot, to, so, you know, excuse the phrase. You know, she pumps people in finals. You know, if you look at her biggest finals, you've got a hammering Kennen 6-4, one in the French Open. You know, I don't think she'd been beyond the fourth round of a slam before that. Uh, in Rome, double bageled Carolina Pliskova. You know, we've seen Pliskova have her own dodgy days before, but that, that's <laughs> still no mean feat. Conteveit, who, who's uh, one of the form players on the tour over the last eight months, two and one in Doha a few weeks ago. And, you know, Sakari's been great over the last 12 months as well. And it was four and one again. So, you know, she she can take the rack out of anyone's hands and we just need a few more matches with Barsi now. And I'll be happy, James. I'll be happy. I promise. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. I should point out that uh, Iga takes on an 11 match winning run. Uh, as you say, she's only lost twice in 20, uh, three times in 2022 Barty Collins and Yelena Rostopenko, which is a result that sticks out a little bit. But she's beaten, I think, five top 10 players in her last eight outings or nine outings, I should say. Uh, and as you say, quite often, very comfortably, she did drop a couple of sets in Indian Wales. I think Clara Tawson took one off her and um, Angelique Kerber as well. But yeah, it's quite interesting looking at those those two um Opening opening round results. She went to three. She lost the first set in both of her first or all of her first three matches, and her scores after that first set were six love six one six two six one six two six three.
1: She absolutely gets going. This is going to be this is a rubbish stat because I can't actually remember the stat, but someone (laughs) on Twitter did point out that the big change with her this season has been her results coming back from a set down. I think there's been quite a significant shift to winning something like eight of the nine matches compared to winning one of 12 last season or right. something, you know, that's made up stats. and so do not quote them to anyone, but it was a shift similar to that. We You're going to have to do some research on that for next week, George.
2: Do we think that that's what she got in that hitting session that she played with Andy Murray, that she just kept losing the first set? <laughs> 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 I Seems mean, to be something they both have in common. Just thrown away first sets against players who are nowhere near as good as them.
0: <laughs> but at least she does win the next two after that. So I think we can give her some credit for that. Um, yes, yeah, her run, incidentally, is, is worth noting. I mentioned there Torson and Kerber. She then beat Madison Keyes and Simona Halleck, both of whom are in good form this year before beating Zachary, who, as we mentioned, another one in good form. Um, Interesting stat. Well, I don't know about interesting. I don't know about stat. Can anyone tell me how many career titles Maria Zachary has won?
1: George? I, know, I actually know the answer, so I can let Calvin guess first. I, One? <laughs> one is the correct answer. She's won yeah. just one
0: uh, career title, which I don't know. I suppose she's not been around at the top of the game for an awful long time, but... Are we not surprised by
2: that? Um, she she tends to be very good until about the semis, and then tends to to go to pieces. She lost to radikanu on that run to the U.S. Open final, and yeah, that was there for the taking. In in all honesty, she shouldn't be losing to radikanu when the the draw was that open. Mm. Um, I think there's been questions about her, her nerve when it when it really comes to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, she got to the semifinal of that ridiculously open French open as well. You know, the one that Babora Kajikova won and she yeah. like, Sakari was by far and away the best player in the
1: draw. And, and she lost to Kajikova in the semis. Nine, the seven, seven in the third the, and everything. The, the funny thing kind of on that point, you can see after the semi final of this tournament, like how much it meant to her beating Badosa and that kind of overwhelming kind of emotion that came with it. You know, I, I I normally criticise that because I'm like, you shouldn't be celebrating like that to win a semi-final when you've got the final coming up. That should be your goal. But in fairness, while Zachary, I think, has kind of always (laughs) maybe emotionally enjoyed it too much at the stage and then fallen at the next hurdle, the thing that's impressed me is actually she's then come back the following next big tournament, normally actually backed it up and gone further. So, you know now she's losing big finals like indian wells it wouldn't surprise me if the next one was she goes and wins miami or something you know mm. I, I think she does generally learn from that and you know there's nothing wrong really with kind of enjoying big moments you should be able to enjoy semifinals and stuff but i think that has been a little bit of a perhaps a weakness in her mentality in some ways
0: I mean, you're the only one stopping her enjoying semi-finals, George. I mean, you know, I'm quite happy for her to enjoy semi-final wins. All I think, all you I want, think it's it, it's
1: it's always like the tears that bother me, James. It's like, come on, guys, you you can you can actually win this tournament. You're good I, enough uh, to win this tournament,
2: but you know what? I am. Mean. I, um, it's it's interesting. I was on having this debate with a couple of my mates earlier on about when Taylor Fritz won. They they kind of had a point. They both thought he over celebrated a bit, being that it was a Master Series and he was sort of on his knees in tears and like. I can see both sides of it. It's a big I think win that's for him, harsh. But, but at the same yeah. time, it is—it's it, kind that's of that. Harsh. No, they, what they were saying were like he's celebrating it like he's won a slam, and that kind of is how you'd celebrate a slam, but not how you'd celebrate a master series. Like it's the tears that it's the tears I, I don't get. You know, it's the, <laughs> like fair enough. You know, long match. He's in a bit of pain, down on the knees. Get some fist pumping out, but. I don't get why everyone's crying these days.
0: I mean, he grew up like not that far away from Palm from Palm Springs. Like he probably went to that tournament as a kid. Like
1: I can see it a bit. The the difference as well for me is that one of them's just beaten the greatest player. Of yeah, that, yeah, that is big, on paper big, the massive. greatest player of all time in a final on home soil, and he's no one thinks this guy can win a slam. Zachary is playing in like an era of women's tennis where they're sharing the loot all the time and, like, getting emotionally overwhelmed in kind of big moments. That's more my issue, is that Zachary's more than good enough to go and win titles like Grand Slams. I'm not sure Taylor Fritz is at the moment.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is kind of a thing in sport at the minute, isn't it? The the celebration police. Quite a big thing in football, <laughs> isn't it? Like, like, oh, after, I so I don't want to talk about that, yeah. Calvin. When are we allowed to celebrate? After. Like, how much are we allowed to celebrate winning at stuff? Yeah, you know, it's like, or it in Man United's weird.
0: case, how much are you allowed to
1: celebrate not winning at stuff?
2: Yeah, or just yeah, being human beings. Again though, again
1: though, in tennis, it bothers me more slightly because, like, for semifinals and finals, purely because they then have to come back the next day and do it. I don't mm. mind like footballers going mental on a Saturday, and then it's like, yeah, week. Cool down, get back, get re mentally focused. I just think it's quite hard to come down from that high and then back it up the next few days. That's that's my own personal feeling. Maybe totally wrong.
0: I think it is interesting. It's definitely that that kind of trying to create that even-handedness. And it's definitely something that you hear the top players talk about. It's like trying to to live the high a little bit, but then just
1: to kind of let it let it go. That said. I've seen Djokovic go absolutely mental at some match wins. Like, oh yeah, speaking like that one against Fritz, where he like torn his abductor, which was still never quite convinced that happened, but he didn't even rip his shirt at the end of that one. I mean, he Mm. did go pretty mad. So, I
0: mean, he was two sets down, you know, and dead and buried. Like, I, I I was, I like, I remember because I had written, I'd written the match (laughs) before. Like, I was done. I was like, great, I, I might be able to finish work a bit early tonight. Djokovic
1: is out. (laughs) glorious as soon as you think that you know you're not finishing work early that's the classic curse of working in tennis well i
0: tell you and just without getting too sidetracked but i've because we've had so much covid on the desk recently i've had to cover a few football matches and i have to say late goals i mean you don't get late goals in tennis you get tie breaks like match deciding tie breaks bit problematic for writing because you know what people won't necessarily appreciate is we have to write a story that goes up the second the match finishes And obviously, if you don't know who's going to win the match, that's quite difficult. And yeah, 89th-minute goals, 90th-minute goals, absolutely. Just just honestly, get in the bin.
1: Get in the bin. Like Federer-Djokovic, that Wimbledon 2019 final was an absolute pain in the arse from that perspective. I mean, Federer literally had match points on serve. I'd basically deleted anything I needed for Djokovic. And then about four minutes later, he's won the whole bloody thing. But that was a that was a difficult match for everyone,
0: George, because the cricket World Cup final was going on at the exact same time. So we were trying to watch two of the most tense sporting occasions of all time. (laughs) And they finished within like three minutes of each other. It was completely absurd. Um, Anyway, I had just lost my job at the time as well. So I was absolutely steaming. Anyway, (laughs) we got I said we wouldn't get sidetracked and then we absolutely did. Um, Is there anyone else we want to talk about from uh, the women's draw at Indian Wells, George?
1: Dart, I think, is probably the, the one we should speak about. I mean, was a really... I think I, one of the shops of the season, her run this week. I, I can't believe the kind of calibre of opponents she came through. You know, slamming through qualifying, beating Alina Svitolina, beating Kai Kanepi, eventually being stopped by Madison Keys. But, you know, she's cracked the top 100. I, I wasn't sure she'd do that, to be honest, with her limitations. Um British number two. That's a, that's a crazy week, I've... Very pleased for her.
0: Yeah, she um she came through qualifying as you mentioned as as we discussed last week as well. Um and then yeah picked up that win against Kai Kanepi. She was beaten by Madison Keys in the end for I think a total of just five games. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's already out of the Miami Open. Uh, she lost today in qualifying to Tatiana Maria. So not a great start to her time in the top one hundred. But um... not an easy draw to be fair no no quite um yeah for people who don't know harriet dart i mean she is one of the most i think probably now she is the most underpowered player in the top 100 um i know for a fact she has the slowest second serve that people always (laughs) talk about but but you know i mean everyone has their limitations presumably calvin uh, you i mean there's not much further she can go with that is there
2: uh i mean in theory you'd think no but Again, I keep saying it's women's tennis. You never know. Mm. Um, you wouldn't predict anything there. And, yeah, she's, I mean, I don't know. I could see her going a little bit, harder she, a little bit higher because she does well on the grass and she's not got much to, uh, I don't think she's much on the clay, but she does well on the grass. And there'll obviously be wild cards for her and that kind of thing. And she'll get into Wimbledon. And, yeah, it's kind of nat- now she'll start getting into main draws and won't have to qualify a lot mm-hmm. of the time. She'll be able to pick up some more points. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see her going up towards 80-ish, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I think, you know, that that's such a massive advantage once you kind of get into that ranking. You know she's got a year's worth of shots, basically, at Grand Slam main draws with a result like that. So um, it's really encouraging. And who knows, she may become the WTA's equivalent of Diego Schwartzman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So it's a big ball, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have still developed,
0: Calvin. Uh, okay. I mean, we can only assume so. <laughs> um, am I right in saying that, uh, I, I don't know if anyone will know the answer to this, am I right in saying that Harriet Dart is in the um, Billie Jean King Cup team for our trip to Prague yes, over Easter weekend? Yeah. Um, along with Emma Raducani, who, well, I mean, she's in the team. We'll see if she plays. Sonny Cartel, I think, as well, is in that team. Yeah,
2: Sonny's in it. Yeah. Um, Bolt is, is out. A,
0: Yes, no Bolter, no Heather Watson either because she's um, struggling. I understand with a bit of injury, and she wants to try and get herself into some different shape. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, good, to, good for Harriet Dart. Always good to see British success overseas. Indian Wells becoming a bit of a, a bit of a sort of British uh, stamping ground, really. Really. Um, The thing I did want to talk about, which I wrote a little bit about this morning, um, was that we have this kind of new look top three now, which is great. And it it may get upset again because it's so tight um, in terms of points between like third and eighth. But do we think this is a reasonably well-established order? You know, Barty, Schwantek, Zachary, Sabalenka kind of disappearing off. I know she's not been very fit. I mean, do we think that Schwantek and Zachary are the kind of players you can hang around in those rankings? Calvin, I know you say anything can happen. George? Something more considered. S-
1: S- S- Sviantek definitely will. I think Sviantek's going to make a a charge at Barty's spot. To be honest, I think she's stepped up and a gear this year. Um, you know, we sort of said, I say we sort of said. I, I sort of kept banging the drum that she was being at least vaguely consistent last year compared to um, the majority of women's tennis, but um, she's now being very consistent and kind of blowing everyone away. Um, you know, we were pretty critical of her after losing to Danielle Collins in the semi finals. And that would have been a result, really, where she kind of could have had a bit of a setback. It's gone the other way. I think the French is kind of set up really nicely now um, with those two, if famous last words, but those two on opposite sides of the draw, both clearly top two players in the world anyway but on clay especially i think Mm. they've got a lot of advantages there in the way they play um that that would be an absolute dream french open i think final for what to kind of really showcase this exciting area that we all all know women's tennis can provide so yeah i'm i don't want to get my hopes up too high but i think it might actually happen at the french (laughs) fingers crossed fingers crossed
0: um let's move on to miami which uh, as i've mentioned is kind of in qualifying stages at the moment and first round probably as you're listening to this uh quite an interesting draw lots to talk about in there but i think probably good given time is short to pick out well one match frankly because i think it's something we can talk about with some expertise andy murray uh I'm not that interested in Federico Delbonis, who I think he has already played this year as well, um, but he potentially will have Daniil. Well, if he, if he beats Delbonis, he will get Daniil Medvedev in the second round. Now, obviously, Medvedev isn't the world number one anymore because Novak Djokovic, by virtue of not playing, uh, has gone back ahead of him. Uh, Daniil Medvedev is the number two, but he is the number one seed in Miami, of course. Calvin, how tricky a matchup is Medvedev for Murray in his current state
2: Uh, you don't want to be playing him Um, (laughs) especially not after Murray's three and a half hour match with Delbonis Um, (laughs) in in, in which he lost the first set and won 6-4 in the third Um, yeah but also the flip side of that is Murray has got a game that could cause Medvedev troubles Medvedev's not the most skillful player in the world Mm -hmm. Um, he stands miles back Murray will exploit that on serve, that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I joke about it, but look, if he's going to have a chance, he can't be spending hours on court with Del Bonis. That, yeah. That's something that he just keeps on doing. He just mm. can't, can't do it. Yeah. So he's got a chance I think, but um, yeah.
1: He'll uh, follow your advice and move, Promptly pumped one and two by Delbonis. <laughs> yeah, <as well. laughs> Yeah, and then and he'll then <laughs> say, talk, a... talk now, Calvin. Yeah, talk now. <laughs> we, I, we, I only no. spent an hour on court. We, we've okay. got a bad history on this podcast of previewing matches that never even happened in the end. So yeah, I'm absolutely. very reluctant to get too carried away.
2: <laughs> um, quick word, um, Jack Draper plays Gilles Simon, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, Jack will win that, I think.
0: And then he's got Maybe. Cam Norrie.
2: Yeah. That too. <laughs> interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Did did I mean has he played him in
1: competitive matches? Yeah, Nod's
2: Nod's beat him in um, Queens last year. Uh,
0: okay, yeah, of course.
1: But did Jack beat him at the Battle of the Brits? I yeah, know Jack that, beat him Battle really of the Brits,
2: although different. Serious, but, yeah. yeah, I don't think it was necessarily that they weren't taking it seriously, but definitely a different Nod's now than yeah. what it was at the Battle of the Brits. Mm.
0: Uh, Emma Raducanu, incidentally, has probably got uh, Katerina Sinyakova. She's obviously the a tough currently
2: draw,
0: well, she's the world number one doubles player, isn't she? Um, and she's I think picked up a couple of decent wins this year, so yeah, not a great draw. And then she could play Emma, um, Simona Halep in the third round, which is a match that everyone loves to talk about because uh, Halep is supposed to be one of Raducanu's childhood heroes. So, um, some nice stories there.
2: Just on that, I know that my mates told me today that apparently Raducanu has signed two more big marketing partnerships this week, Gosh. um, and they reckon that. She's now up to maybe forty days a year committed to um, marketing days, which is a lot. Mm.
1: Sound the, the real, ka-ching sound. The real question, Calvin, is how many followers has she
2: got? <laughs> I checked George, and still the same. So um, <laughs> yes, yeah, she's still no
1: two point three million now, Calvin. That's been that for 8.1 uh, no, no, Yeah, no, I no. mean
2: that's it's that's the same since last true. I checked, but. Like and she's done yeah. two
1: new posts since I last looked, so she must yeah be. one right, for yeah. one for Porsche and one for just herself.
2: Yeah. So what what was you, what was the target? Was it thirteen million? Thirteen million. Like Serena.
1: I think it was Rihanna. We were comparing it to. It was yeah, so Rihanna million.
2: has like a hundred and fifty-six million. Oh, was it?
1: Was it Serena who's thirteen million? Yeah, I think it was yeah. thirteen. I think that's what we said. it's yeah. time. She's still only eighteen. Calvin, come on, give her a chance. <laughs> yeah. Is she nineteen, George? might be now yeah but let's yeah. let's not let facts get in the way here
0: james come on one of our mantras here at the love tennis podcast never let facts get in the way of a good story i think that's all we've got time for although sometimes when i say that george makes a face and i have to stop but he's uh, he looks content I,
1: and i was just going to say that i mean we briefly brushed over it didn't we that medvedev losing his world number 1 ranking but there has been a bit of a furore about that and uh, wimbledon and stuff as well about him not potentially being allowed to play though, If he loses to Mar- Murray on Tuesday, this could be probably the worst week of his career, this Medvedev.
0: Well, let's see how that one evolves. Uh, the- I'll tell you what, George, For a- for a quick any other business, getting into Russian geopolitics probably <laughs> isn't the topic that I need <laughs> at 20 past 10 on a Monday night. Uh, thank you as always for listening thanks very much to Mary for getting in touch and email remember you can do the same it's lovetennispod at gmail.com do leave us a rating and a review and follow us on all the social media and uh, as always most importantly please come back next week sports social podcast network